the supplemental crabapital budget adjustment. This week, Council is asked to spend a bit more money on a few more things. Meanwhile, Edmonton Waste Management continues to have a world-class 90% diversion of good management practices. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 41. Uh, We're back in the Unit B studios today because... You know, it's busy and we like to support local businesses. This isn't even a Unit B ad. Not even in this episode. This one's for free. First up, the rapid fire. Coming as absolutely no surprise to anyone who saw its pre-Broadway run in Edmonton, Town is currently leading the 2019 Tonys with 14 nominations so far. The play, whose show-stopping number, Wait For Me, takes place on a railroad line, was determined to be a perfect fit for Edmonton. In the song, Hermes extols the virtues of, if all you've got is your own two legs, you best be glad you got them. Because he's never getting on that goddamn train. Meanwhile, in Edmonton, TLC for LRT remains ongoing. Keeping with the train theme, SNC-Lavalin is on the short list of companies to build Valley Line West. This may come as a surprise to people who know that name best for the political scandal currently plaguing the Prime Minister's office. However, critics of the company's appearance on the shortlist neglect to realize the advantages of selecting an SNC-Lavalin bid. Comedians around the world have made jokes about the scandal-embroiled company, and it's part of a broad public discourse. Getting in on that will put Edmonton on the map. World class. Even the best of marriages have broken down assembling IKEA furniture together. However, Silicon Valley innovators TaskRabbit have a solution to the problem. The gig economy. The app, which just launched in Edmonton, connects users with taskers, workers who can do small handy tasks like minor home construction or assembly. Now, instead of breaking down marriages, we can collectively break down collective bargaining, rights, worker protections, and the idea of full-time meaningful employment. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week, we're going to tell you about the Edmonton Public Library. Do you remember the fun of signing up for EPL's Summer Reading Club when you were a kid? Well, now there's a Summer Reading Club for adults. You can stop by any Edmonton Public Library location between June 22nd and August 24th to get your activity sheet to track your reading. Plus, you can win some amazing prizes, and you can learn more about that at epl.ca slash summer hyphen reads. Why should kids get to have all the fun? And of course, you can also check out the EPL podcast Overdue Finds, which covers pop culture and all the stuff you can find at the library. And speaking of fun stuff you can do, you, dear listener, can do the ATB Alberta Podcast Network survey. We want to hear from you with, as a listener of our shows, what you hate about us, the network, and even what you might like about that if there is something there. Plus, filling out the survey earns you a chance to win one of three $100 cash prizes. That's cash money in your pocket. So head to albertapodcastnetwork.com slash survey and you'll be entered to win one of those prizes. We're downtown. We're recording in Unit B. And I think the best place to start this week is the plan that came out to basically turn the entire downtown into a foresty utopia. Is that what I'm roughly understanding? Basically, council and, and city want to take all of the parking lots full of cars and replace them with green space and, and grass and trees. And I think that's amazing. Uh, when this item came up, you know, about the, the city turning these downtown parking lots into a, a central park, and that's in air quotes, for Edmonton, um, the only thing I could think of was that gif. You know, it's like, take my money. They're throwing money at the screen. 
in this case, the city's already taken my money through property taxes, but I'm all, I'm all for this. I think it's amazing. So what they're proposing to do is take um, four existing parking lots, turn it into a 1.25 hectare park. So it's roughly the size of two football fields, according to the CBC. And this is between Jasper and 102nd Avenue and 106th and 108th Street. So it'd be a pretty big park, and it's envisioned as sort of the central piece of this warehouse campus neighborhood um, that has been slowly being planned over the last number of years for downtown. If we do have as many residents as that plan proposes, we are going to need more green space. And so I think this is a great thing. If you look at the CBC article, which is the one we were citing when doing some of the research for the story, it's got a helpful overlay picture and it's just parking lots. There's differently colored parking lots that will become parks and there's no better story in downtown. I mean, maybe we'll be accused of being anti-parking but looking even at the image the amount of parking stalls we're taking away is way less than we've added in the past couple of years with the arena district and right north of the arena district we're a little bit positive on a plan that administration has put forward so i want to rein that in i <laughs> uh, just got to remain on brand the one problem i had with this plan is 107 street which right. basically runs smack dab down the middle of the park is going to be labeled a green street, which is a nice way of saying we're leaving it a street. It's still open to traffic. And I wonder what the what the motivation for that is. I mean, I know what the motivation for that is. We live in Edmonton. But <laughs> if you're building a park, yeah, you don't typically want a car driving straight through that park. Yeah, I've been to Central Park. I don't remember cars driving through the middle of it. I mean, there's roads, but they're not really open to traffic. Yeah. And, and it's obviously much bigger than this. I found it really interesting how it was also LRT tracks were put on 107th Street straight down the middle of the park. And logically, some people were on Twitter saying, there's no LRT on 107th Street. Yeah, what are you talking about? And of course, that's talking about the center LRT. The route was approved. Uh, It was last year. I don't know if we were actually doing the podcast when center LRT. We did. I think we talked about it, except they didn't have a way to get across the river. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So refer back to some other episode in the past. (laughs) But... The center LRT, it's going to go down 107th Street to the legislature from 102F. And it would be low floor LRT. So in theory, you could walk up from the park and get on the train if there was a stop there. I don't know if the center LRT is vaporware or not. Um, And even if it's not vaporware, it's for those who aren't software developers, vaporware is a plan that, you know, gets started and then disappears into nothing and never gets released. People talk about it, but it doesn't actually come to fruition. Even if the center LRT does happen, we're talking 2050, 2055. When we talk about our neighborhoods, our parks, our infrastructure, we rehabilitate it every 25, 30 years anyway. So that means we built this park now. Before the center LRT comes in, we're going to have to completely rehabilitate the park. The way I read this is they're using this as the root selection for LRT as an excuse to, well, let's not close this to traffic. We'll keep it open because there's going to be a train here anyway. But there's not going to be a train there. Many of us will be dead by the time there's any train there. Um, and our kids who don't die in the park getting hit by a car driving through the park, they might live to see a train. Yeah, I was surprised uh, at how quickly they plan to build this. It said construction could begin as early as 2021 um, at a cost of 20 to $28 million or something like that for the park. So we would have a park there long before not only a train, but also many of these towers that have been proposed. And there's a, there's actually one coming up for um, zoning this week at council um, have been approved and built, right? So I suppose it's the chicken and egg problem and having that green space will help with those things. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right about 107. It's open because 
we live in Edmonton and there's cars that drive there. Yeah, we could never close road. I do wonder on the chicken and egg problem if this isn't a real push from administration to say, well, we know the big blocker to these tower proposals has always been, you know, density and amenities. We, as we increase density, we need to increase amenities and we haven't been doing that. Right. So if we can rapidly get more amenities in place, uh, it could be success. Speaking of green, though, uh, recycling as we know it failed. Uh, that was the headline from Elise Stolte's article this week. Yeah, she had a column all about Edmonton's approach to uh, recycling and that we need a new approach before we put more money into this. And I want to read her her quote here that I thought was great. She says, It's time we realized what a failed experiment this version of recycling has been. We believed a fairy tale for decades, virtuously filling blue bag blue bags and setting them by the curb. We thought simply collecting the plastic paper, glass, and tin, doing a basic sort, and selling it overseas made it just disappear. Now the pigeons are coming home to roost. So this has been in the news a lot lately, right? All these uh, countries that um, Western countries have shipped their waste to have been saying, nope, we don't want to take it anymore. In the extreme case, the Philippines, which are suing us to take back our garbage. And 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 you know, we've talked about this before. Council is looking at their 25-year waste management plan strategy and what we're going to do to try to fix this and get back to having some kind of realistic target of diverting waste from landfill and, and being good stewards. And, uh, and I think Elise is spot on that we need to talk about what a failed experiment it has been before we put more money into it. Meanwhile, uh, we all know that reduce and reuse are the two R's that are the most important. And one way to reduce the amount of waste going to landfill is, you know, composting and making sure your organics don't hit the landfill. Right. And can we do that in Edmonton right now? I don't know that we can because we seem to be missing a roof. Uh, that happened last week. Our Edmonton composting facility, which is much beleaguered and like shuts down every winter because yeah. of the snow was too heavy for the roof. <laughs> it was deemed this building, which was only 20 or 30 years old at a several multi-million dollar cost, deemed unsafe, decommissioned entirely. Like shut down immediately. Council was planning, obviously, to look at replacing this or doing something about the building. But now it's been shut down before they even had the opportunity to explore that. We have plans to get new recycling facilities or new composting facilities online in the realm of 21, 22, 2021, and 2022. Right. But, but in the meantime... Yeah, that means in these ensuing years, your organics are going in the landfill unless you get a backyard composting. Right. And perhaps that is the strategy Edmonton needs to take. And we'll put it in the show notes. There's a really good episode of 99% Invisible, which talks about, I believe it's Singapore? Hey, Troy from the Future Editing booth here. It's actually Taipei. And basically... Garbage pickup is a daily occurrence where there's a little truck playing a happy tune and people come and sort their garbage and recycling at the truck. Hmm. And you buy bags from the municipality and that's how much garbage you get. And that's, you know, a carbon tax on garbage. It's interesting. And it is the most effective. It works. Yeah. And that's the different model. In Edmonton, we've tried this blue bag system where you throw everything and then the waste management center will handle it. Conversely, overseas, recycling systems tend to be, we're going to conscript the citizens into being employees and doing the sorting for us. And that just leads, when you sort at the source, you have much higher efficacy. And we just have to train all of us not to be lazy. And granted, recycling itself, not an effective strategy, but it's a start. If we can make good recyclable products versus bad, that's at least better than nothing at all. Yeah, and that, that action at the source, you know, whenever we talk about this, I just always think of snow. 
and how we don't have the city try to shovel everyone's walks, everybody individually. We should, though. That, we should, you know? though, and we'll talk about it next winter. <laughs> but it's effective this way because it's it would be very expensive, and I imagine we'd have a similar kind of conversation if the city tried to do it all themselves, mm-hmm. right? And we just relied on the city to magically clear our sidewalks. People would have to take matters into their own hands, and that's what we're seeing with waste and recycling. People are going to have to start sorting out the source. It's really interesting because the ongoing pilot for the new organics and garbage bins in a couple communities where there's a green bin and a black bin and then blue bags, residents are still being encouraged to put all their organics into the green bin, still continue with the pilot knowing that that truck is going to come pick it up and put it in the landfill, which is, again, exactly what Elise was saying. Uh, We're telling ourselves this fairy tale and we're actively still telling the fairy tale to people in the pilot project. Speaking of fairy tales, we often hear about how tax breaks attract new investments. And we got some tax news with new municipal taxing powers this week. Yeah, the provincial government has announced Bill 7, which if passed, they say would allow municipalities to to provide property tax incentives for up to 15 years. Uh, They've been year to year currently, uh, or previously, that's what they were able to do. And so they think that this bill could help municipalities attract investment, create jobs, and realize their full economic potential. Wow, that sounds like spin to me. It does, certainly. So this is only interesting a little bit to me. Uh, I think the main interesting thing about this is we uh, this week on Twitter, we saw Michael Oshry, former councillor from Ward 5, tweeting out in a couple threads if we give municipalities new tax powers, they will use it as a method of contesting different tax schemes. Because honestly, at this point, I believe our tax structure isn't working. And Edmonton has been really seeing this. We want to encourage infill. We want to encourage densification. But personally, if I was to build a garage suite on my plot of land, my property taxes would double. Right. So there's a financial disincentive to accomplish city goals from a property owner's perspective. And new tax tools for cities is not a bad idea, but this is just an extension of what we've got. It's not Mm -hmm. like we could now pass a new sales tax, let's say, municipally. What this tax break or what this um, incentive aims, it's all about businesses. Yeah. Um, This And we're going to see this. We're not talking about provincial politics, but we will see this in the province over the next several years. It was part of the UCP platform is tax breaks for businesses and, uh, you know, encouraging investment, all that hoorah. And this is a first step in the giving municipalities the ability to offer tax breaks to businesses. And of course, I'm sure Councillor Mike Nickel will be ecstatic about this. He has long complained about the businesses getting an unfair burden in Edmonton. No doubt. So Oshry's comments are interesting. There's two things that I thought were quite interesting. So the mayor responded and, you know, basically said, it's great that we get more flexibility as a municipality. He's not going to take a, a carrot from the provincial government and say, no, we don't want that. But he did c- caution that, you know, if um, if all the municipalities have the ability to do this, uh, selective use by one might undermine the others in the region. So he's kind of raising this concern that, you know, one, one city in the uh, Edmonton region could do this and the others wouldn't, and it might undermine them in attracting investment or whatever they end up doing. Um, so I think that's an interesting point to make. We've got to think about it as a region. There's always been that long-standing sort of equity question, especially with Strathcona County, which last year lowered their tax rate while Edmonton is raising it. Yep. Strathcona County does have Refinery Row, and they're getting a lot of business taxes, even though arguably they're using a lot of Edmonton services. And we saw Iveson float that last year, right. where he said, potentially, maybe we start collecting from our neighbor municipalities right. to pay for the Edmonton services that they're using. He quickly backed out of that. It wasn't a popular 
position. You got to float those trial balloons, though. Uh, the last thing that I thought was interesting at the bottom of the news release from the provincial government, they have quick facts and they say, uh, in this case, um, there are other places that have similar things. They mentioned Saskatchewan, which offers property tax incentives for up to five years, BC up to 10. And then they mentioned Texas and Louisiana. And when I read this, it was like, why would they mention these ones? Is it because these are the only four jurisdictions in North America <laughs> that do this? Like, it seems so strange to me that Texas and Louisiana. But anyway, I digress. This is a recurring theme, actually. The one event that always makes me laugh and I come back to it is about a year and a half ago when administration was debating adding security measures to council chambers, which they ended up doing. Um, they were talking about putting a wall between administration or public. and the public yep. and as well metal detectors at the door. And the justification that they used for it was when George Bush was in Iraq, a reporter threw a shoe at him. So <laughs> therefore Edmonton needs these security measures. Right. And it just makes you wonder, do administration really think these are compelling arguments, especially when you have the constant narrative of Edmonton's not Norway, Edmonton's not Amsterdam, Edmonton's also not Iraq. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to move on to the title of the episode, the Supplemental Capital Budget Adjustment, Yes. which for those unfamiliar with the archaic ways of council, you know, in spring we get an opportunity for council to amend their budget for new emerging priorities and spend some more money or save some more money. But knowing Spendy Mix, Spenderson, Iveson, you know, it's going to be spend more money. <laughs> Not a lot of really interesting items I found. It was mostly par for the course. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, the overall number is uh, $204 million is available or was available this week for council to spend. Administration recommended only spending $107.5 million of that and keeping the rest of it so that they could deal with future emerging items, say in the fall when we come to look at this again. And so that $107.5, they put forward some things uh, as possible suggestions. I want to start with crosswalk safety because, of course, Troy would always want to start with crosswalk safety. We've talked about this in the past where we have a list of 600 intersections that administration is calling the unsafe crosswalks. Yeah. However, we know that that's not really what those are. The list of 600 is the crosswalks that should be upgraded to different light infrastructures, either rapid flashing beacons or those overhead amber pedestrian flashers or full signalized intersections. This doesn't include things like extended curbs or raised crosswalks. These countermeasures that we know are very effective, but they're not included on this crosswalk list. Those countermeasures are typically included in what administration calls traffic safety engineering measures. Right. So... This week at Supplemental Capital Budget Adjustment, Edmund put forward a proposal that council fund basically $3 million a year for this list of 600 crosswalks to get more lights on the crosswalks. Right. Um, and this, you know, aligns with council's goals. We've had this in many Vision Zero discussions that, yeah, sure, we need to get more crosswalks. They also pro put forward a uh, proposal for an enhancement to the school safety program, which is essentially... Currently, it's about 24 schools per year that administration will go in. They'll like put the brightly colored fluorescent sleeves on the crosswalk signs, maybe change some paint colors, little countermeasures that just make schools that much safer. And that's at about $2.6 million a year. And then they proposed taking traffic safety engineering measures, giving it $360,000 in 2019 and nothing else for the rest of the capital budget. So dealing with those crosswalks, they get 360000 Yeah. And this, this is the Vision Zero strategy in a nutshell. We have discussions before council when we're talking about the core zone report that went and got approved by council. Yep. Part of that was 
engineering countermeasures. And that's coming back in January of 2020. And administration is supposed to present a suite of tools that they can use to actually improve these streets with engineering changes. They know that's coming. Administration knows that's down the pipe. And everyone knows the efficacy of these traffic safety measures. But yet we're proposing right now to not fund it at all. So one of the things that came up during the discussion at council was the, uh, you know, notion of a new item versus there's some stuff that was already previously approved. And, you know, it's kind of sounds similar, but not exactly. Do you know, like it did in the capital budget proper, was anything approved for this? No. And in fact, this had come up a lot of in a lot of the discussions about the core zone when councillors were asking about crosswalk safety. Right. Uh, Gord Sebrick was pretty clear. Uh, well, we have no ongoing funding for these traffic safety engineering countermeasures. countermeasures. Got it. I would ask why there was no follow up. Hey, can we fund this? Uh, but, you know, council works in mysterious ways. You only get five minutes. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about sort of in that vein is we have school safety and crosswalk safety. But we've got this proposal in Edmonton to have this holistic traffic safety approach that everywhere should be safe. Right. And this is why I've strongly advocated against school zones and playground zones, because I think they're dumb. Playground zones are ridiculous to me because you don't need protection when you're playing in a playground. Most of our playgrounds have fence and then you're climbing on the playground gear. You're fine in a playground. It's walking to and from that playground. When we say with a playground zone that you're safe in the playground, but only if your mom or dad drives you to the playground, which makes it more dangerous for all the other kids. And I find this same discussion with the school safety. As much as I don't want to advocate against school safety measures, it should be a grain of salt. Like if we're looking at, okay, well, there's 300 children in this school, but say there's several daycares around White Ave Garneau area that frequently cross the streets and there's more than 300 kids there. Well, maybe we should prioritize not a school, but traffic safety measures in that area because it's still going to protect those people. Right. When we make programs like this, when we make lists of crosswalks that need lights but don't look at more broad and different contexts, and when we look at school safety and don't think about, well, let's just keep people safe, we tend to lose sight of what we actually need to do and go figure, we have lost sight and we're not funding traffic engineering countermeasures. But... I will stop ranting about that because I'm looking at the time and I know the listener is tuning out. No, no, you're spot on. I think you're, you're so right. And your comments about playgrounds are, are, are very apt, right? I mean, we, we think about it as this uh, silo. Mm-hmm. That's the way the city likes to work. There's the silo, which is just the playground and not everything that leads up to it. So you're spot on. Well, also spot on was uh, a couple counselors reading a report about Enterprise Systems Transformation Program. Wow, what a mouthful. Mac, what am I what am I reading? So this is one of the things that administration proposed spending part of that uh, capital budget adjustment money on. And the idea here is that there are a couple of systems that the city relies on heavily to do service delivery. Uh, One is made by PeopleSoft. One is made by SAP. We've had these systems for a very long time. They do things like HR and finance and Um, enterprise resource planning and all these types of things. And in the past, when we procured them and and implemented them, we did heavy customization. According to administration, that was the thing to do at the time. You'd buy these systems and heavily customize them. And now we find ourselves in a different era where we have different requirements and SAP in particular is no longer going to support the product that we use um, past 2025. And so administration has got to figure out, what do we do? Do we build new stuff? Do we buy new stuff? And so they put forward this 
very, very odd report that doesn't really have any information at all and asked for $60 million, most of which we won't even know how much we're going to spend until we've already spent some of it. Like, it's not a, this is, we know what we're getting. It's like, we have to spend money to figure out how much more we're going to spend. Um, and so a couple of counselors uh, made comments about this report. Yeah. So I think I want to start talking a bit about the report because I've we've both worked in software development in IT and I've worked at the University of Alberta, which, you know, that's public service. It's got as many employees as the city in some departments. Like it's it's a bureaucracy. Totally. I'm very familiar with this type of report. And when I was working at the university, I had a go to website, the corporate BS generator. Um, It's just like perfect if you need a slideshow to impress management. So I'm going to read you two quotes one from the report and one from the corporate BS generator and just see if you can tell which is which. The system provides a plan to modernize the technology systems, allowing the organization to reimagine its use of innovative digital tools, systems, and processes. And the system progressively streamlines low-risk, high-yield imperatives to output adoption outcomes. Now, which one of those was real and which one was the corporate BS generator? It's very hard to tell. Had I not read the report, I wouldn't know. And this report, the entire report is like that. Yeah. There is no information whatsoever in the report. And a couple of counselors, like you said, got pretty frustrated at this because this is how IT reports tend to go. Yeah. So Counselor Henderson was, you know, much more diplomatic about it. He was basically just saying, you know, 30 million seems like a lot of money. That's just phase one. There's another 30 million for phase two that they would come back to council to ask for. It's like, what are we getting for this? Seems like a really expensive project. And, you know, they tried to explain that only a certain portion of the 30 million is for planning. 60% of it is to actually procure the systems and pick a systems integrator. And, you know, as they're talking, it's like, do counselors actually know what that means? Do they know what a system integrator is? Like, they understand the concept of procurement. But at one point, someone from administration referred to this as boxes and wires. Like, is that really what it is? It's probably software these days, right? Um, Counselor Nickel, of course, you know, made a comment about this. He says, IT has a terrible knack of getting away from us. And uh, he was kind of, I think, verbalizing what I was thinking as I was listening to counsel, which is like, this is this big IT black box that counselors are like, oh, I don't know, it sounds important. I guess we're going to have to spend money on it. And administration knows that and they take advantage of them for it. And then finally, uh, you know, Counselor McKean, I thought was uh, right on point, spot on again, uh, talking about the report. He said, I just found this report baffling. He's like, I recognize I don't have any expertise in this area, but a layman would struggle to understand what it's all about. So, you know, a few of them were, you know, expressing that this type of report really doesn't help us make any kind of a decision. Apparently, there's a hundred page business case that wasn't presented along with this two page report, which this is something we've talked about in the past. Why? Uh, this The same discussion happened with calcium chloride, where administration said, oh, no, calcium chloride is fine. And counselor said, well, no, it's not. And administration is like, oh, no, we have an expansive research study proving this. But they didn't provide it. Right. I, it's just, if you have something that gives information to election, elected officials, give it to them? Yeah, I mean, city manager Linda Cochran said, well, this is the first formal opportunity we've had to socialize this with you. Uh, what council decided to do was refer this to committee so they could have more time to look at it. And in talking about that motion, they were like, 
so you already have the business case. Like, can we just get that ahead of time? Like, why do we have to wait until it gets to committee for us to get this information, right? So exactly what you're saying. They have that information. Why not make it available? And reading into this report as as much as I could because there's no real information there, but it's talking about PeopleSoft and the management and, you know, it's payroll, HR, management, all sorts of like the, the things that the corporate entity of the city needs to do. Yeah. That all needs to be integrated into the system. And there was another order of government that tried to integrate their payroll and it's called the Phoenix Pay System. <laughs> and it's costing... Might have heard about that. Yeah. Over a billion dollars to fix this. Federal employees aren't getting paid. It's an IT boondoggle disaster. Uh, it was implemented by IBM, the same people who provided the PeopleSoft software. I mean, I'm looking at this report and I'm thinking, okay, we need to take a step back because the city is about to screw up big time and they're go. I would just spend $60 million screwing it up. At least, right? Nobody talked about, say, the Metro line integration of software systems ring a bell mm-hmm. and what happened there like none of the, none of those questions came up right well and because probably because it was too hard to get past the report and how meaningless it was just an in, we're going to go outside of edmonton and back when the wanna cry uh malware was infecting municipalities across the world because municipalities tend to have outdated systems yeah uh there was the, it was the city of baltimore i believe where they got ransomware and they were getting charged $800,000 approximately to unlock the system. And the mayor said, no, you know what? We don't negotiate with ransomwares. And then they spent $18 million on IT consultants to get their data, not even back, but just up and running over a period of several months. I think this exemplifies the city is not good at software. Um, I've written about this in the past. We have put out a lot of bad apps, uh, the ETS Live to Go app, the... uh, the app that you could use to like have a creepy childish voice tell you when you're entering a school zone, all these things that the city built, it just shouldn't. And those are just consumer facing mm-hmm. without really any sort of tangible requirements or yeah. implications. And spending 250 grand here or there. Right. This is $30 million to just start to figure out how much more it's going to cost. Right. I can't imagine ever paying that much for a city to develop software because there is just no way that goes well. Uh, Sorry if I don't have faith in you, city's IT department. (laughs) Uh, But on that lack of faith, uh, we're running close to out of time in this episode, but we don't want to forget to tell you about ATB because it's June and ATB is talking about its support of pride. Acceptance everywhere starts with acceptance here. And with representation across Alberta, including rural communities, ATB's internal LGBTA network is working to transform ATB into the right place to work for LGBTQ plus team members and their allies. You can learn more at atb.com slash pride and, you know, get out there and enjoy no pride parades officially this year in Edmonton. But, but some other parties, Pride on 103. events and yeah. you can have pride in your living room with any of your friends. And as long as you're being inclusive, you're being prideful. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, as always, check out taprootedmonton.ca for all our up-to-date stories. If you want to check out last week's episode, we had a great discussion with Mel Priestley about the downtown market and Taproot's coverage of that. But... Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.